You're listening to the Alpha Man Project with your host, Ted Rice. Would you like to be bigger, leaner, and stronger? Do you want to develop the confidence to go after what you want in life? Or how about becoming the man that women want to be with? It doesn't matter if you're a successful CEO or working 9 to 5. We're here once a week to empower you to reach your full potential so you can live life on your own terms. You deserve greatness. Now it's time to make it happen. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the podcast feed. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Find it all at alphamanprojects.com. Now back to the show. So excellent. So you've listed off some things with recovery, the sleep. Guys, you can go back and listen to what he said in case you don't remember. But I want to delve into what you recommend training wise for fat loss in particular. Let me just say this right now. I'm currently training a group of 20 people in a specific fat loss program. Not a single one of them are using the same exact training format. Now they are using the same diet but they're not using the same training format. Uh, The longer I've trained people, the more that I believe that nearly any method of training can assist with fat loss. I don't care if it's long, slow endurance training, which I personally rallied against for years. I mean, I slammed it from like 2008 until 2011. I was adamantly opposed to it, but you know, I've seen people keep their long, slow running. As long as their diet's tight, they lose weight. Free weight training, Machines is another example of something that I rallied against for years that, you know, I've seen time and time again, people lose weight while they're doing it. I'm all about results. I'm not about dogma. If the results are there, then I take that. Now, to answer your question directly, my prefer training format for not just fat loss, but overall health is a combination of heavy strength training and high intensity interval training. So the basic barbell movements, squat, deadlift, standing overhead press, bent over row, and going out and sprinting once or twice a week to me is a ideal format for nearly everyone who has the requisite fitness level to do it. Someone who's very overweight, particularly someone who is obese, should not be out there sprinting. They're going to have a much longer learning curve oftentimes for those basic barbell movements. Those basic barbell movements are a true skill set, and you need to get coaching to learn them initially. You really do. And I know not everyone's going to do that. And in that case, I do think bodyweight exercises can be a much safer alternative. They can be very effective. But as far as my preferred method, I won't go as far as to say I think it's the best method. I'll just say my preferred method is a combination of heavy strength training and high intensity intervals. Yeah. Yeah, I play around with all the tools. They're all tools, but the thing about the barbell is that you can keep loading it up. It's the most efficient way to progressively overload your body and I kind of like it too so I love the way you put it in there with your philosophy training a muscle is training a muscle it'll rev up your metabolism it'll get the muscle stronger but what you're using are the basic barbell movements and some sprinting love it awesome man and so guys there you go go learn first the barbell movements start loading them and do some sprinting once or twice a week, work up to it if you are out of shape or if you are overweight and slowly work up to it. And there you go. I love it, Vic. Really to the point. Do you have any special like rep set scheme that you use for the barbell movements that you really like? I like to stay in the traditional strength training realm. I really do. And that is low reps, heavy weight, long rest. 
So for example, you use a weight that you could lift no more than five times. And that weight is what's going to be scalable to the individual fitness level. And you do it your five repetitions and then you wait. And by long rest, I mean at least two minutes between sets. Could be as long as five. I've never had a client who could stand waiting that long. They start tapping their foot and looking at you like, come on, I'm paying you. Let's go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, usually two to three minutes seems to be the sweet spot that you can get a client to wait between sets for strength training. And I do think that's great. I really do. It's not going to make someone big. So if someone is looking to pack on a lot of size, different set and rep schemes are going to be better usually. But I typically deal with weight loss clients, typically deal with fat loss clients. So they're definitely not concerned about getting big. So if I can make them strong, that's a good thing. And I'm not too concerned, uh, you know, pumping up their muscles. Oh, Vic, man, I want to bring you along when I talk to my females about it. It's like, I don't want to get bulky. It's like, listen, there's not enough volume here with the five sets of five. No to way. get 25 no way. reps is not going to make you bulky. Don't worry about it. No, every client I've had who was physically capable, meaning they didn't have some sort of injury, deadlifted. I had a 63-year-old female college professor, and she deadlifted every single week. Yeah, you're not going to get big and bulky ladies who may be listening. It's not going to happen. And gentlemen, you won't either. Let's put that there. I mean, I'm five foot eight, 160 pounds most of the time. Your genetics are going to have a huge effect as to how big you're going to get. And most people just aren't going to swell up like bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, guys, if you are interested in packing on tons of muscle, it'll get to the point where it's difficult. I was... 185, 190. I'm 208 right now. I used to compete in martial arts. Don't anymore, but I need something to train for, right? And I can't just be pure strength for me because I work out at home. Not to go into too much of that, but yeah, no, that's cool, man. I like how you're going there with that. And yeah, strength training, five sets. And I love what you said about the clients resting two to three minutes. Sometimes it's like, guys, you have to rest as long as you need to make sure the next set is done with good technique and with the same weight. So it can be a bit tough sometimes, especially if with a personal training client who's uh, paying you for that time you're sitting around, right? Right. (laughs) It's kind of funny. I guess that's a little insider personal trainer talk there. Vic, another thing that you talked about, which I think is really important to mention right now, is the importance of self-experimentation and kind of forgetting about what we hear all the time and just maybe letting go and, and trying different things no matter what's popular or not. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And, you know, we can tie that into two issues we've covered already today. Let's talk about the strength training first. Common format, five by five program great format, proven over and over again effective. But an individual may find a point where, hey, you know what, I'm not getting any more results with this five by five program. And a lot of people will just keep banging their head against the wall and keep knocking out five by five instead of maybe moving to a rolling system where, you know, you've got a a week where you're doing singles and then you've got a week where you're doing triples and then you've got a week where you're doing the five by five again and you rotate that type of cycle. And if you don't experiment, you never know. But the kind of the double-edged sword to this or the risk factor is you have to give yourself enough time so that you do know. You have to give a amount of time where you're truly testing the new parameters and you're not just program hopping. Program hopping happens all the time. Like the next shiny object I see, oh, I want to try this program. I want to try that program. Pick a program and stick with it 
throughout the duration that it is designed to work. As an example, I have a program called 40 Days Fit. If someone's on that program, they need to lock it down for 40 days and follow the program. And then they can make a decision whether or not they need to tweak it or adjust it. But for people who have a long history of training, they can be much more intuitive and they kind of know. I think another good example here is that we know as trainers that a typical parameter for muscular endurance is going to be a rep scheme that is above 12, let's say, where 12 to 25 reps. But then we also know there is the brutal, scary squat protocol of the 20 rep squat workout that has been shown time and time again to pack on size, not just on the thighs, but to the body as a whole, just I'm sure due to more so the, the hormonal profile adjustments that happen. And you don't know these things unless you experiment, unless you push outside of the common boundaries and test. That's the bigger key than not adhering to dogma. The bigger key is testing and tracking. You have to treat yourself almost like a lab rat, testing and tracking. You have to keep detailed notes. You have to look at results. You have to remove the emotion from the equation and look at it as, yes, I am getting results. I'll keep doing it. No, I am not getting results. Let's look for an adjustment. So that's what I mean when I talk about self-experimentation and releasing dogma. Vic, that's great stuff. And absolutely, we definitely have to experiment. I like what you said there about following a program long enough to see some change because this is skills, like you said earlier, that we're developing with these exercises. And in part, developing strength is probably skill development with a particular exercise. But at the same time, we got to experiment with things. And Vic, I think you'll agree when I say that you and I, we've been in this business for over a decade each. And yeah, we're just better at experimenting. We've just taken more notes and we've just noticed more patterns and experimented on more people. And that's why we can consistently get results. Yeah, absolutely. I like to tell clients that, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what's going to work for you, but I can make a pretty damn good educated guess. And that's where we're going to start. And then we'll test and track from there. Yeah. I had someone on the show the other day who said experts are just people who have been winging it for longer than you. I was like, (laughs) yep, I know what you mean. Yeah. We're very honest, right? You don't know if it's going to work, but you experiment and most of the time you cut down on the error and the wasted time and you you do get results. So very cool, man. So let's talk about martial arts. First of all, what black belts do you have and what two martial arts? Uh, I have a black belt in American karate system and I earned a black belt while I was stationed in Korea. So I have a black belt in Taekwondo. I got to take my black belt exam at the Kukiwon World Taekwondo headquarters. So that was an experience to be right there in the heart of Taekwondo. So that was interesting. Excellent. And we've uh, talked a little bit about martial arts and we've both been martial artists for a long time. I want to hear some of the lessons and some of the takeaways that you've learned from your experiences, especially training at the world headquarters. You're taking a Korean martial art in Korea. That must have been really badass. Well, uh, I tell you what, I think maybe the, a good way to illustrate this is with a story. And I did train on the army base but it was a Korean instructor. He came in and he trained all the soldiers and we trained three days a week, two hours a night. It was great training, but he led by such example. It was amazing. The guy was 60 years old. He could bang out double under reps with a jump rope like it was nothing, crush 225 on the bench press for rep after rep and just do a full straddle split and then put one ear on the floor and then the other ear on the floor. I mean, the guy was an amazing physical specimen at 60 years old. 
but he was also very humble. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've taken from martial arts training. I remember before every class we had traditional hardwood floors in our dojang and he would sweep the floors. He wouldn't let anyone else sleep sweep. This is an eighth degree, 60 year old Korean master. No one would sweep the floors, but him. And then one day we had a new soldier come into post and female soldier, maybe 19 years old. And she comes in, she wants to take class. And so she looks at him and she says, Arashi, I am interested in taking your class. And it was like the record scratch and everything goes silent in the room. And all the other students are looking at each other like, did she just call Master Kim Adashi? Because you see, Adashi, I forget the literal translation. I think it means uncle. That would be the literal translation. But the effective translation to American English would be dude. Odyssey is how you address a taxi driver. Odyssey is how you address the guy cooking your egg and cheesy sandwich at the food cart whenever you stumble out of the bar. That's who you call Odyssey. You don't call your eighth degree Korean master Odyssey. So we were like, oh my goodness, this guy is going to flip on her. And he didn't. This was an extreme insult to him. I mean, you consider the hierarchy of martial arts for one. You consider the culture where they have this very uh, hierarchical courtesy between the elderly and youngsters. And then you also consider the patriarchal format, the the fact that she was female. And he didn't even bat an eye. He, in fact, he complimented her on her use of the Korean language. He said, your uncle Ma is getting very good. Class starts in five minutes. You're welcome to join us. And everyone calls me Master Kim. That was it. That was it. Talk about a demonstration of humility. And uh, that has one thing that has always stuck with me after uh, my training time with him. Yeah, and I like how he added in at the end, by the way, this is how you address me. So he didn't just accept it and just kind of roll with it. He threw it in there to set her straight without losing his cool or, oh, you have offended the master, you know? Right, nothing like that. Attitude, very cool, man. I like that story. Yeah, and what about the concept of soldiers march, warriors dance? What is that? Soldiers March, Warriors Dance. This is, uh, I'm going to tell a lot of stories here, it looks like. <laughs> uh, again, while I was stationed in Korea, I was part of the United Nations Command Honor Guard. And that was a unit where we were combined with, we had the American soldiers, we had the South Korean soldiers, we had soldiers from New Zealand, the Philippines, Thailand. We all lived together in the same barracks. And we were part of the United Nations Honor Guard. So we did ceremonies and things like that. Well, we had this huge rock in the front of our barracks. I mean, it was huge. Might as well call it a small boulder, a couple hundred pounds. And some American soldiers got drunk and rolled the rock down the hill. And this wasn't just a rock. It was like, it was like our unit mascot. It was painted blue and it had the, the flags and the crests of all the various nations that made up the unit on it. So it was a big deal when these guys rolled the rock down the hill. And so we got in trouble. And what we had to do was all of the American soldiers had to pull guard duty on the rock. And so in addition to our normal job duties, we also had to put on full battle rattle, flak vests, weight-bearing vests, draw our weapons, put on Kevlar helmets, and stand guard on the damn rock. And we had to do, we had to do this for like four weeks, right? Because the uh, chain of command was so mad at us. And so my platoon sergeant comes up to me one day and he says, uh, McGarry, why do you think that the soldiers rolled the, the rock down the hill? And I said, because the army doesn't teach discipline, sergeant. And this guy did not like my response. And he said, what do you mean? Army doesn't teach discipline. My soldiers are up at 0500 every day for PT. Their hair is cut, their boots are shined, their uniforms are pressed. If that's not discipline, tell me what is. And I said, well, have you ever seen your soldiers on the weekend on their days off? 
How many of them are out there training on days where you don't enforce the PT standard? Your soldiers are not disciplined. They are obedient. And uh, he said, you just wow. get in the front, you just get in the front leaning rest and start doing pushups. So I tell you to stop. And I obediently complied. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the whole theory of the soldiers march warriors dance is that soldiers do what they're told. And there's a purpose for that. There is a time and a place for that, especially if we're going to look at it from a war perspective. You can't have people questioning the decisions of officers. You need to move on an objective. Those soldiers need to do their job. But a warrior is different. A warrior does question. A warrior looks at what has worked in the past and keeps it, looks at what hasn't worked in the past and discards it and constantly refines things until they are at the epitome of efficiency. So the warrior doesn't march, the warrior dances. So that's what I mean, the difference between soldiers march and warriors dance. I like that. I just did a an interview recently and the guy was a martial artist for a long time and he was talking about the differences between soldiers and warriors and that's a great point man and uh, i can see why you got dropped for uh, push-ups <laughs> because of that because you were right you know right. yeah that discipline is what really comes to me when you talk about that is yeah these guys are there they're doing what they're told but they don't have the, the internalized, they don't have the values that are internalized that guide their actions all the time, whether they have someone telling them what to do or whether it's the, their days off. How does that play in what you do with your clients and what do you do with yourself? Well, that's both great questions. Let's address the clients first. Uh, I think that there is a spectrum of habit building and the initial stage of habit building Obedience is important because maybe someone doesn't know what to do. So you tell the client, hey, you do this and they do it. And the only reason they do it is because you told them to. But over time, they start to see that what you've told them to do is actually garnering the results that they want. And I think that's when someone takes the mantle up on their own and they say, hey, you know what? I am enjoying this process. I am enjoying seeing the results. I don't need Vic to email me if I don't update my food journal in, inside 48 hours anymore. I know that I need to do it. I know that it's benefiting myself. So I think that is uh, kind of the spectrum on habit on how uh, habit building happens. And the later stages of discipline are nothing more than habit. It's automatic. You don't even think about it anymore. Uh, as far as keeping on myself, I like to keep a very regimented schedule and it's going to flux depending on what my duties are meaning uh, employment-wise. For example, right now, I'm not working this summer. My full-time job is I teach at a community college. I teach community or the criminal justice program. So one of the benefits of that is I am off all summer long. It's nice, man, still getting a paycheck and not having to uh, go to work. I like so it. My, yeah. yeah, it's great. So my schedule's a little different now. Now I'm, I get up at 6 a.m., whereas during the school year, I typically get up at 5 a.m. And then I go through a series of actions that help optimize that morning and it goes through everything from a little bit of exercise to uh, taking care of my dog which is a big thing for me and then hitting my high priority tasks which typically for me are going to be some form of writing or something else geared toward my work online and I think whenever you set yourself up with a literal written schedule so you have a map to follow that becomes a lot easier to follow and the habit builds over time, especially whenever you do have to change your schedule up from time to time due to whatever life circumstances you have. Anytime you change those parameters, you're resetting the habit building. If you're changing from getting up from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., 
you're going to have the resistance in your brain for those tasks that day and you need to set that blueprint up so that you can stay on task you're right so you don't start waking up oh god i got so much to do let's see what's on facebook first right you do that you're done you're done man (laughs) yeah no that's great so can you tell the listeners how they can plan and execute an effective morning ritual so that they can get the most done well i think you want to make sure that you have a few tasks in there. You want to definitely make sure that you are going to take care of the big areas of your health, which is going to include both your exercise and your diet, your social and emotional health, whether that's taking care of your kids first thing in the morning. I mean, if you don't do that, if you're a parent and you have kids that you need to get off to school, you've got to make that priority. You're not going to have a clear head about anything else until you know you've got that handled. Uh, For me, it's my dog. If I don't handle my dog, then nothing else is going to be have the requisite attention span that I need. And then also your high priority tasks, whether that's work, whether that's improving your education through self-study and reading, writing, whatever it may be. Probably the easiest thing to do would just be go down what my current personal daily ritual is. I get up at 6 a.m. and I do what I call my five-minute wake-up call. And this is just a series of light exercise. Sometimes it's basic calisthenics. Sometimes it's five minutes of burpees. Sometimes I swing a kettlebell. But I, I don't count it. It's not a workout. It's just something to get up and get moving. And then from there, I get dressed and I go right into taking care of my dog. And I designate specific 30 minutes to walk the dog, feed the dog, give the dog a little bit of attention. From there, I make my coffee. And now it's 6.45 a.m. Some days I make a little blended coffee where I'll put some coconut oil, butter, maybe even a small piece of dark chocolate in a blender with the fresh coffee. And then I'm set for my high priority task that day. So from 7 to 8, I am going to write and I'm not going to do anything else. Like you mentioned, I'm not even going to have the internet running. So I'm not tempted by Facebook. I'm not tempted by email, I am going to write in a program that does not require me to be online because I will fail if I'm tempted like that. I will get distracted. I absolutely will. I do that for a solid hour. So now it's eight o'clock. I take a break. Break is typically going to be some small household chore, maybe sweeping the floor, doing the dishes, or maybe playing with a dog. 15 minutes back on task for another 45 minutes. So now I get through that. I have made so much progress on my work day with that hour and 45 minute block. That is perfect. Now I'm also a little mentally spent. So I go to the gym, gym from nine to 10 AM, come back home, shower, hygiene, brief meditation. That's from 10 to 1030. From 1030 to 11 AM, I'm going to do some reading. And then 11 AM, I have my first meal. I am a fan of the intermittent fasting. It just works for me. So I don't eat until after training. And it's typically 11 AM for my first meal. Wow. Man, just listening to how you have everything dialed in and you're able just to recount every part of it right off the top of your head. You have your ritual so dialed in. That's just inspiring to hear. And man, I'll be honest, I am learning a ton just listening to you. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I know everyone listening is learning about how they need to get their act together. If you don't get your productivity up by listening and applying what Vic is telling you and also your results by journaling what you're doing with your exercise and nutrition, you need to go back and listen to this interview again because Vic has just laid it all out for you. That's awesome. So Vic, let's get into the alpha round right now. Are you ready? I'm ready, let's go. Awesome. Well, what does it mean to be a man? 
What does it mean to be a man? It means to be self-sufficient. I think if any quality that stands out for a man is that you can handle your own, that you can take care of yourself and you can also take care of any other responsibilities that you may have, whether that's your family, your job, whatever it may be. But it is self-sufficiency. It is being, it is that internal knowledge that no matter what comes up, you can handle it. Wow, that is powerful. Self-sufficiency, whatever comes up, you can handle it. That's what being a man means to you, Vic. That is very powerful stuff. So what's one thing the listeners can do right now to start getting better results with exercise? Doing it. That's the biggest thing. And what I mean by that is consistency. That's the biggest thing. A lot of people will get excited and they'll go to the gym or they'll sign up for a gym membership. And then two days later, they're not going anymore. It has to be consistency. And so this falls back once again to our habit creation and accountability. Some thing that I often tell people to do, a great tip for starting that is to reduce as many barriers as possible. So someone who's brand new to exercise, maybe going to the gym isn't the best thing for them. Maybe just literally rolling out of bed and doing a set of 20 bodyweight squats is the perfect way for them to start with the habit. Oftentimes, I tell people that they want to start with a level of commitment that is far below their perceived level of compliance. So what I mean by that is what is something that is so ridiculous that there is not a single shred of doubt in your mind that you will actually do it? Is it 10 push-ups as soon as you wake up? Is it one push-up as soon as you wake up? Whatever this amount that you have no doubt that you will actually do, start there. And then from there, you can build the habit with momentum instead of getting overwhelmed with, oh, I've got to go do this 12 different exercise routine after I drive 20 minutes to the gym. Uh, Someone who's new to exercise is almost guaranteed to fail in that scenario. Great stuff. So guys, if you're struggling to get started with exercise, follow Vic's advice. Figure out something that would be ridiculous that on a scale of one to 10, you're a total 10, whether you would do it or not. And if that's one push up or 20 bodyweight squats or whatever it is, start doing that and start. So what I love, what I hear in between the lines, it's not about the program for people who aren't exercising right now. It's about starting and developing the habit and just great points, Vic. Excellent. So what is the best advice you've ever received from a mentor? Best advice I ever received from a mentor was from one of my early martial arts instructors. And he said, show up and do what you can. Just show up. And that came from a scenario where I was injured during class. It was a pretty serious injury. I was sparring with one of his upper level students. And as most people are familiar with, you don't wear shoes or socks or anything like that in a karate class. And I was thrown. I received a, a hip toss and my feet smashed through a trophy case. We were too close to this trophy case and I ended up getting 48 stitches across my left foot and I had to walk with a cane for six weeks and I was young. I was only 16 years old. I'm lucky I didn't lose any toes in this incident, but I obviously couldn't train, could barely walk. I had to use a cane, but my instructor made it very clear to me that you're going to do what you can. You can sit on the sidelines, you can watch, you can still learn. Whatever you can do, you deal with it and you just do what you can at that time. And I think that's great advice. Oftentimes we're worried about having the perfect scenario before we get started with something. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect and we're always going to have these bumps in the road and we just have to keep pushing forward and deal with it with whatever we have available at that time. 
Wow, I really like that a lot. And yeah, if you guys don't know, when you get tossed, which has happened to me many times, your feet go flying. And if you're too close to something, wow, man, that sucks. But show up and do what you can. And that goes for every part of life, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, so Vic, thank you so much for this awesome interview. Thank you for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, and most importantly, your time. I know people are going to skyrocket their productivity as well as get in better shape and start to eat better. So where can the listeners get in contact with you and learn more about what Vic McGarry has to offer? The main blog address is vicmcgarry.com. That's V-I-C-M-A-G-A-R-Y.com. And for anyone who's interested in a completely free fat loss program, they can go to fatlossforfree.com. That includes four different 12-week body weight training programs, a 12-week sample menu, 20-minute jumpstart audio, and 68 exercise demonstration videos for free. That's awesome. Wow, all of that for free. So guys, if you like what you heard today, Go to fatlossforfree.com, check out vicmcgarry.com. All that will be on the show notes page. Vic, thanks so much and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, thanks a lot, Ted. You've reached the end of another episode of the Alpha Man Project. Connect with us at alphamanproject.com. Your feedback is really important to us. It helps us learn, develop, and most importantly, improve our podcast for you. Give us a review on iTunes and receive a free grocery shopping list and four-week muscle-building workout. See you next episode.